Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Calm Henderson. My guest this week is Patrick Roberts, an award-winning researcher and author who's written an article in the latest issue of Current World Archaeology magazine, all about the jungle. The magazine is out now in the UK and is also available to read online in full at the past website. Jungles often have quite a poor reputation, particularly in Western societies such as the UK. They're often seen as a green hell, a dangerous and unruly environment, and that only by escaping them could human societies progress. But as Patrick's article explains, this preconception couldn't be more wrong-headed, and our whole attitude towards the jungle is in dire need of a rethink. Last week, I caught up with Patrick to talk about these ideas in some more depth. Here's our conversation. So Patrick, thanks very much for joining me. Um, I've got you here to talk about your article, and it's on jungles. And uh, jungles are often thought of as very wild places, which are you know unsuitable for human habitation. And it's sort of a general view that humanity only advanced once these communities decided to, to leave them. Why do you think this stereotype is so persistent? Yeah, I mean, I think it pervades so many of our kind of popular stereotypes. We see it in the literature from anything like the, the Jungle Book um, to, to things like Tarzan um, and even horror films and, and, and video games that, that present um, these kind of environments, these jungles, these tropical forests um, as, as really being inhospitable, places of, of discovery of ruins um and sort of where where people live with 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 animals right there's not really a human society there but they're living in the wild the you know the law of the the jungle um even the word we use the word jungle comes from the the hindi word jungle that that really was used in in its original context to say something about beyond the home beyond the community um and so the fact that that's become so widespread in in english um as a reference to tropical forest kind of supports that assumption that they really are beyond um humanity um and then that's kind of i guess the more popular stereotypes but of course even in in biology and evolution ever since darwin we've had this idea that that humans and humanity really evolved by sort of coming down from the trees really sort of leaving uh tropical forests and 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 sort of striding out onto the savannah whereas our closest uh great ape relatives that we also for some reason often see as kind of caught in a in a time um, are, are the ones that inhabit these tropical forest environments. So I think there's a, a number of different layers here while we often assume that they are so so um, wild to us. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was fascinated by what you said quite early on in the article about how essential they are as a sort of a component of the Earth's, you know, the ecosystem. Very important, actually, to our um, existence as a species. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think we we think of them as as you know we often like to see them on TV. You know, the wild rainforest with David Attenborough um, narrating them with his his dulcet soothing tones. Um, but we sort of say, oh, isn't that amazing? Isn't that brilliant? But we we somehow still find it hard to to associate with them, right? We know terrible things are happening there in terms of deforestation, but it's very hard for us to really feel that we're a part of that. Um, but actually, ever since the tropical forests first appeared on the planet, they've played a critical role in, in kind of how the Earth operates. Um, so, you know, the first tropical forests, um, taken as forests growing within the tropics, um, they're actually called the, the coal forests because they actually were some of the first places to have really ecosystems dominated by, by tree-like species that, that then trapped carbon uh, in the ground. And then that was eventually um, sort of, pressurized to become coal and many of these coal layers come from that first period which is kind of ironic uh, in terms of what we'll 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 come on to a bit later but these these habitats they you know they were sort of 
um, trapping carbon in, in the biosphere. Um, they were also, through their root systems, converting rock into soils that then stabilized further ecosystems. And they were also actually the, the, the home of some of the most complex, first complex ecosystems on the planet that include the ancestors of, of all mammals, reptiles, um, as, as well as amphibians. So they were massively important ever since they first arrived. And, and then today, that remains to be the case. So if we lose um, rainforests and tropical forests, we're not just losing you know, things that are nice to look at or, or that, that have some kind of far off relevance. Um, because they're home to over half of the, the world's plant and, and animal biodiversity, that means that if we lose them, uh, we lose not just that for the rainforest, but that is half of the world's biodiversity that we lose. Um, similarly, in terms of their role in carbon capture, we've seen increasingly these high profile articles showing that they're actually beginning to shift from carbon um, sinks into carbon sources, which is a terrifying real idea um, in terms of trying to limit global warming to um, 1.5 degrees or below 2 degrees. Um, and finally, they also um, really important in producing rainfall that the aerosols that come off them, um, the evapotranspiration going on with their leaves is actually responsible for nearly a third of terrestrial rainfall around the planet. And because there are these complex climate systems, that doesn't just mean that it'll get dry in the tropics, but it will impact the climate the world over as well. And so they're incredibly uh, important to all of us. Um, and I think we often forget that when we're watching them from our, our couches um, or reading about them. And that's what my book sort of was really trying to focus on is trying to make people feel a bit more in touch with these habitats in terms of our human story. Your article is great because it does take us all across the world. I think there's several different continents, at least. I mean, initially, you talk about a voyage down the Amazon River, um, during which you encountered uh, local communities who had a, a, a very close relationship with the rainforests. Um, can you tell me a bit more about this trip and what it taught you? Yeah, so I start the book and I think also the article with with this kind of uh, anecdote, if you like. So I was I was traveling with my PhD student, um, Victor, from from Brazil, and, and we were we were going down the Amazon, which is, first of all, amazing because it, it kind of you, you know you forget it's a river it really is a vast body of water um, and then along the flank you know you're seeing this kind of a lot of green a lot of what we might imagine uh, when we think of of jungles and then all of a sudden Victor you know as we were going along in this boat he sort of pointed out and said oh you know we, we're going to see a village um, coming along the bank soon and I kind of looked where he was pointing I was like oh okay well, that's a bit weird it just you know it still looks green to me and he said, no, 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 you, you know, it's the type of plants that are starting to grow. And, and you know, looking again, there started to be more palm trees, more types of trees like um, Brazil nut trees. And lo and behold, a, a village then did emerge um, into view. And, and what this kind of um, tells us is, is that they have left people living in these, these parts of the world have left their real mark on the vegetation that grows today. We think of it as being very wild, um, but actually they'd left this kind of still visible footprint, if you like, because they'd been nurturing, they'd been planting these types of trees that were really useful to them. Um, and they'd also changed the, the soils that they grow on. So things like Amazonian um, dark earth, these are kind of soils that over millennia humans have modified um, and made more fertile. And a lot of the villages that are along the banks of the Amazon, its tributaries today are on top of these soils. Um, and it's kind of this lasting legacy of, of human uh, impact on the soils and the trees that grow there. And I think that really gave me this real view of, of that that these aren't just wild places that you know it's very clear that humans have had an impact on these environments um that still shape how they how they appear today and still shape how people live in them today as well yes absolutely and then you move on to i think it's kenya and this is the site of is it the oldest known human burial in africa and there was yeah. scientific isotope analysis was conducted on these human remains um so what did they tell us 
Yeah, so I actually began my PhD. How I got into all of this in the first place was, um, you know, my, my specialism was was this stable isotope analysis of, of human teeth. Um, and what this can do, it gives us a kind of direct insight into what humans have been eating. Um, and in the tropics, it's quite nice because the different chemical signatures kind of divide out so that we can really distinguish animals and humans that are feeding in a tropical forest environment versus those that are living out more on, on the grassland areas. Um, and... You know, so I'd applied that in Sri Lanka for my doctorate, and that was one of the first times we'd seen really that, that humans were choosing to live in rainforests as soon as they got there in that case. Um, and then as part of my my position here in, in Jena, Germany, um, we then were lucky enough to be able to also work on this fascinating site, Pangea Saidi in Kenya, um, where they'd found one of the earliest um, human burials in Africa. And there were some teeth from the same, the same level which the burial came, and we were able to analyze them and see that here, although this site was on the coast, um, that actually humans were using a mixture of tropical forests uh, and grassland um, kind of resources through time and perhaps leaning towards the woodland forest side of things um, back at this early point, 78,000 years ago. And this was quite significant because there'd been this long-held narrative that humans kind of emerging in Africa and then expanding out of Africa followed this kind of coastal highway out of Eastern Africa and all the way you know, around South Asia and into uh, eventually Australia. And what we had here was a site, well, this was slap bang on the Indian Ocean coast, but actually most of the evidence suggested that humans here, you know, starting to do these things that we think of as very um, human, if you like, burials and, and new um, sophisticated technologies and symbolic behavior, um, that actually this was associated with kind of tropical forest mixtures with, with grasslands rather than a reliance on the coast. And so that was another pretty exciting point where we can see that that really these environments were very important to our, our earliest ancestors as well. Yes, and you, so you talk about, you know, human migration and how there's a lot of evidence for human communities actually choosing to live their lives in the rainforest. You know, they leave one and then move towards another. Um, can you tell me a bit more about this? Yeah, so this, this goes back to the, the, the Sri Lanka work again that I, I, I briefly mentioned that here we have an island in the Indian Ocean that was at various times connected to India. And it's... You know, it's a relatively large island, but but still relatively small in, in, in some ways. And, and the environmental changes across this island are very stark. So you have coastal grassland dry zone areas. You have lowland wet rainforest, highland montane rainforest, and then drier forests as well. Um, and, you know, according to this, you know, the, the prevailing theories, humans were moving out of Africa and into Asia by following either the coast or maybe following grassland corridors. And so in Sri Lanka, you know, we'd expect that to then, then be the case. Um, but what a lot of Sri Lankan scholars had already demonstrated was actually the earliest human fossils, the earliest evidence of technology that's associated with our species was actually in what were lowland rainforest environments, um, which was, was quite a surprise. And, and then people had argued, oh, well, you know, they could have moved there just briefly during part of the year or, or maybe it wasn't a rainforest in the past. And so what our isotope analysis was able to show was that actually it was rainforest in the past. Um, and actually, the, the first human records getting there, they were very much feeding on rainforest resources. And so this suggests then they weren't just doing it because they had to. They were doing it because they actually, you know, they wanted to because there were other environments available there um, at the same time. And what's been even more fascinating is that at these same sites in the rainforest, we found evidence for things like shark teeth, marine shell beads. Um, and because we know that this group of humans was living in the rainforest, the only way that those items got there must have been through trade and so it builds up this picture of you know as opposed to our species having this kind of obsession with coasts or grasslands what actually probably makes us unique 
is the way in which we really different populations adapted to very different habitats from tropical forests, you know, to to coasts, from high altitude areas to deserts. That that really, you know, the tropical forests are a part of that story about our kind of unique ecological adaptability, if you like. And then there's all, you know, there's also um, cities that have existed in rainforests and jungles. That, I mean, that of um, classic Maya and is it Angkor? Am I pronouncing yeah. that correctly? Yeah. Um, again, you've been using techniques like LIDAR, which have been allowed to allow people to sort of literally look under them. Um, can you tell me about how these cities worked? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think in in this prevailing view that, that trouble for us are quite hostile to human presence, you know, the examples like the classic Maya have often been famed in, in, in a sense of collapse that that they tried to build cities like we imagine cities to be that were dense, they were full of people, um, and that they basically overused these these tropical landscapes, and, and that ultimately led to overextension and then ecological sustainability uh, issues. Um, but that is kind of assuming that we think these cities do exactly what we do, so they grow a monoculture. Uh, agriculture that really sweeps across fields and leads to deforestation and that they might have had this really dense core. Um, But what we're actually seeing with the latest work, in particular this LIDAR approach, which basically um, blasts lasers from from the sky onto the ground and the lasers bounce back to the aircraft, uh, the sensor. Um, And then you can use that to build a picture of what not only what's below, but you can actually use an algorithm to strip away, say, the forest that's regrown um, and see what's actually on the floor. And when we do this, we can see that these cities weren't just this kind of focused, compact idea of a city that we have today, but they're actually very sprawling. They were sort of what what has become known as low density agrarian urbanism. And this means that kind of farming activities was taking place within the urban network. Um, And similarly, we find that they weren't just, say, growing maize in, in in a monoculture, but they were using lots of forest gardens. Their fields were quite mobile and they, they were leaving areas of forest also to remain. Um, using wild resources as well, and also benefits for the soil uh, in that regard. And, and so we see that in the case of the classic Maya. Um, we also see that in the case of Greater Angkor in Cambodia, which was actually the largest area of um, urban activity in the pre-industrial world. It was larger than Rome, larger than Constantinople, and larger than many of the kind of classic urban examples from China. And so it really is changing our understanding about what these cities were, how they worked, and perhaps giving us new ideas as to how we might live with tropical forests um, in the future as well. I, yes, and a final question: Knowing you know all that you know and what you've said, do you think we can change our attitude towards jungles? Is it just a question of educating people? Do, do you think that the cliche and the stereotypes of jungles and rainforests will ever change? And do you think we can be more grateful for them? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, this is something I was really trying to emphasise um, in in my book as well. That that you know we we often assume because we have this perception of them as being wild or pristine. And we've seen kind of what we can do them in, to them in a, in a 21st century industrial world. We, we assume that sort of all human activities in them is bad from a Euro-American perspective. But that actually doesn't mean that humans can't live with them. And, and I think a lot of what we've discussed shows that humans have come up with incredibly innovative ways to live with these environments. Um, and that that's something I think we need to think about uh, as we move forward, because by 2050, over half of the world's population will live in the tropics and presumably relying on um, the forests of these areas for their, their livelihoods as well. And so we have to think it's not sustainable in every case to lock people out and make a reserve. In fact, in some cases, um, that's actually quite a colonial activity, assuming that, that indigenous groups that have lived there uh, you know, for, for millennia, um, don't know how to manage them, which is actually patently untrue that they've actually in many cases, as we mentioned in the in the case of the Amazon, they've actually even impacted the biodiversity 
um, the soils and, and the forest structure. So I think it's important that we take a slightly different view to how we go about this and, and, and looking for ways we can live with them um, rather than either locking ourselves out or, or even worse, um, I think, you know, removing them from the planet uh, forever. And, and this gets back, you know, right to where we started is that the first tropical forests were in fact these coal forests, which, you know, as they, as they sort of fossilize and face pressure under the ground, they actually form these layers of coal, which have been a key part of this industrial activity that has ultimately got us to where we are in terms of this really difficult climate change scenario. And so in a really sad irony, it's these first forests that have been providing the emissions through industrial activities, changing the planet back to a, to a situation where it might no longer be hospitable to us. And so I think we do need to take these environments much more seriously. They've really been crucial since they arrived on the planet. They've been crucial to various different types of human societies um, in the past as well. And they are critical to, you know, terrestrial rainfall, to our climate, to our biodiversity. Um, and so we ignore them at, at our peril. And I think hopefully if there's anything I can try and do is to make people living far away from the tropics to feel a bit more connected to them and to try and feel like they have more of a stake uh, in coming up with more productive scenarios about how we can live with them, how we can protect them and how we can support the communities that live with them to, to also um, adapt to, to some of the pressing challenges of the 21st century. No, absolutely. I mean, you certainly made me feel like I was, if not in the jungle exactly, then a bit more connected with it. So thank you. Thanks very much, Patrick. Thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was Patrick Roberts talking to me there. And don't forget that you can read his article in full in the latest issue of Current World Archaeology magazine, as well as online at the past website. And Patrick's book, Jungle, How Tropical Forests Shape the World, is also available to buy. That's all for this week. Thanks to my guest, Patrick Roberts, and to you for listening. We hope you'll join us again soon.